That's what my pastor back home used to say. <laughs> I do have one more thing to bring to you by way of announcement, and that is that we have a few folks who have uh, gone through our membership process. They've attended our uh, classes for membership and have been interviewed and are recommended by our elders for membership. And next week, Lord willing, we will vote to receive them into membership. And those folks are first Heath and Baba Normit right here. Heath and Baba, did I just say that? Heath and Norma Bobbitt right here. We can call you whatever we want to your members, all right? I'm just kidding. We can't do that. Heath and Norma are right here. Uh, we thank God for them. Jeff and Barb Smith, are they here today? I haven't seen them yet. Well, this doesn't bode well for their vote, does it? <laughs> and then um, also Riley Scott, who's back here. Riley, will you wave so people, everybody's going to... Uh, we're thankful for these folks and for the Lord leading them here. And uh, if you have any questions about these folks coming into membership, please see one of the elders this week. Um, uh, but if not, we'll, re we'll receive them into membership next Sunday. Uh, if you'll take your Bible and turn to Daniel chapter 12. Daniel chapter 12, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible and you're using one in the pew, Daniel chapter 12 is on page 750 of that Bible. This brings us to the end of our study through the book of Daniel. It is the first time I have taught such a study, and uh, I am more blessed in doing it than I think I imagined when I first planned it. Uh, and so, if nothing else, the Lord has really used this to encourage and help me, and so I hope that's the case for you, and I hope, I pray that He will do it again today. So first, we're going to read the whole of the chapter, and then we'll pray together. This is what the Spirit says. At that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. And there shall be a time of great of trouble, such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. But at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream he raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, O oh my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? He said, Go your way, Daniel, 
for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, and the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Let's pray together. Oh God, we ask now as we open your book that you would make it live to us, that you would shine your light on it so that we might see its truth and love its truth and believe its truth that you will open our ears and our minds and our hearts as we study your word. For apart from you, we can do nothing. We will not understand, apart from your help, any text of your word. And so we pray for your help, even now, to see the beauty here, to see the wonder here, to be encouraged and challenged and sent on our way. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Many people in our culture are fascinated, even obsessed, with the end of the world. Um, If you just sat around and named them, you could probably think, of a number of movies where either an asteroid or a planet is on a crash course for Earth. Um, Or you can think of movies uh, that are doomed to destruction because of the invasion by aliens or vampires or zombies or something else. Uh, One such movie is actually called uh, The Mitchells Versus the Machines. It is an animated uh, movie about a big tech executive who uh, invents a robot to be his personal assistant and take the place of his phone, uh, which he had not been able to live without. Well, the phone is not very happy about that, so the phone decides to take control of all the robots, uh, take over the world, and rid it of human beings. Great movie. Um, (laughs) But it's not just in Hollywood where there's this fascination with the end of the world. Uh, The end times, what is called eschatology, is a subject of great interest in the church. Over the years, you don't have to go back even more than a half century to find a number of predictions about the, the exact time when Jesus would return to a movie like Thief in the Night from 1972 with its song from Larry Norman, I Wish We'd All Been Ready, about the idea of being left behind, or the books, the Left Behind series themselves, 
And there seems to be an unending stream of books either seeking to explain or predict the return of Jesus. And certainly, the end is coming. Jesus will return. He will come and finish the work of redemption. He will transform and glorify these bodies, whether we're alive or in the grave. When He comes, He will punish evil fully and finally and forever. And those who trust Him will live forever with Him in the new earth. That's a great day coming. But have you ever wondered, why does the Bible tell us about this? Why is it that we find in various places words about the return of Jesus and the end and the final restoration? Is it so that we'll be fascinated with it? Is it so that we'll debate the details with one another? Is it so that we will have the answer to every question we could ever ask about that time? Well, no. You see, we believe the Scripture is sufficient for all of life and godliness, but when we say that the Bible is sufficient, we do not mean that the Bible is exhaustive, meaning it does not say everything that we might want it to say about everything but it gives us everything we need. Well, why does it give us what we need? If it's not for these purposes, then why is it that the Bible talks about these things? Well, let me give you three broad reasons why the Bible speaks of the return of Christ. The first is to give us hope, to give us hope. When we suffer, we want hope. We want to anticipate a better future. And the truly better future that will last will not come until Jesus comes. But in addition to giving us hope, it is to motivate our mission. You see, the end of God's mission is aligned with the return of God's Son. And so this should keep us on task, keep us on task preaching the gospel, keep us on task sending and supporting missionaries, and quite frankly, for some of you, it should give you the task of going. It should give you the task of considering whether you really think God wants you to hang around here or whether there might be something different for you to go, to serve on the field, to be part of God's ever-expanding kingdom to the ends of the earth in that way. The third thing is to encourage our faithfulness. Many of Jesus' parables are told to tell us to be ready for His return. In other words, to live this day in light of that day. And that's the kind of thing that we find in Daniel chapter 12. Throughout the second half of the book of Daniel, we see these visions and prophecies. Some are about the relatively near future. Some of them are about the distant future. But the prophecies about the future are meant to change life in the present. And that's what I think the message of Daniel 12 is by the time you get to the end. It's that in light of God's promises about the future, live faithfully today. In light of God's promises about the future, live faithfully today. 
So first I want us to look at God's promises about the future, and this is where we will spend the bulk of our time. So these first four verses of chapter 12 finish the prophecy that began in chapter 11, all right? These uh, chapter divisions were not here uh, when this was written. But at the end of this prophecy, we are looking into the far distant future, to the end of human history and the rising up of the Antichrist. Now, just as a reminder, and in case you weren't here last week, uh, the New Testament teaches us that there is a spirit of Antichrist in this age, a spirit that opposes Jesus Christ and His truth and His gospel and His people. But also that there are Antichrists, plural, that come, people who embody that spirit. But then finally and ultimately, there is one who is coming who is the Antichrist at the end of the age. And that's who we saw at the end of chapter 11. And so in some ways, he is still in view here as chapter 12 begins. And look at what he's going to bring. There shall be a time of trouble such as never has been since there was a nation till that time. This is the time that is ushered in here. Trouble such as trouble such as never has been. Now those are pretty strong words, aren't they? Just take just take a moment and think about this with me. Think about the uh, the children of Israel in slavery in Egypt and the oppression of Pharaoh and the killing of the Hebrew babies. Think about this exile in Babylon. Think about the fact that these folks had been told they are to bow down to Nebuchadnezzar's statue or die. They are to stop praying or die. Well, then fast forward to the days of Herod. When Herod sends out a a decree to slaughter every Jewish baby boy under two years old in order to eliminate baby Jesus. Think if we were Jews in those days. Think of all the babies under two here. Think about what that would be. Think about the hatred for Jesus Himself that develops in His ministry and the fact that He was mocked and beaten and scorned and killed and told us we would be hated in the same way. Think of John the Baptist beheaded for preaching righteousness. Think of James being killed by the sword. Think of Stephen being stoned to death. Think of the Jews being dispersed from Jerusalem because of persecution. Think of Paul being beaten and stoned and in constant danger because of his faith and ministry. Think of the words that he wrote to Timothy, that anyone, that all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Then go beyond the Bible to the persecution under Nero, and from the report from the historian Tacitus who said that Christians were nailed on crosses. Some were sewn up in skins of wild beasts and exposed to the fury of dogs. Others, again, smeared over with combustible materials were used as torches to illuminate the night. But it doesn't stop there. Just fast forward to the last couple of months, to things you may not have even heard of, things going on, say, in a place like North India, 
where a pastor was taken, had to take his family on the run because he was arrested and beaten and whipped with a leather belt by the police because he prayed with others and shared his faith with them. Radical Hindus beat three men, two of them pastors, because they went to comfort a grieving Hindu man who lost his whole family to COVID-19. A woman partially stripped and then beaten and then choked until she was unconscious by five family members because of her faith. Now, I recount this not to turn your stomach, but to put into perspective what Daniel heard. Daniel heard that this trouble is going to be such as never has been since there was a nation. Friend, if you think that time is right now, you are outside of your mind. If you think the threat of taking away our tax-exempt status is the great persecution to come, you are wrong. It will be this kind of thing that I've just read to you about will be multiplied by quantity and it will be multiplied by degree. It is beyond what you can actually imagine right now. But this description of trouble isn't meant to leave us with a description of trouble. It it is the context in which Daniel receives four promises about the future. The first is the promise of protection. Verse 1, at that time shall arise Michael, the great prince who has charge of your people. Now, we've already met this Michael back in chapter 10, this angelic warrior, and the angelic being who's delivering this prophecy to Daniel was helped by Michael back in chapter 10, and now in chapter 12, Daniel is learning that God's people will continue to be helped by Michael in their time of trouble. He won't sit and watch. He won't cheer you on from the sidelines, God says through this one. He'll get up and he'll get his sword, and he'll go to war. This is part of what angels do. Consider what Hebrews 1 says. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? You see, the angelic host is one expression of God's ever-present help with his people. One commentator put it this way, there are unseen legions standing behind the wobbly people of God in their darkest trouble. You see, friend, God is not going to exempt us from trouble. He is not going to exempt us from turmoil and tribulation and trials, but He will protect His people through it so that they do not fall and they do not fail. First Peter says that we will be kept by the power of God. John, Jesus in John 10 said, nothing will be able to snatch them from my hand. Paul in Romans 
It says, nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Jude says, now to him who is able to make you stand and to present you before his great glorious presence. You see, we will be there on that day. And we will be there on that day because we are protected. And the same will be the case in this last day. Promise of protection. The second promise is a promise of salvation. It comes right after the description of the time. So the last part of of verse 1. But at that time, your people shall be delivered. Everyone whose name shall be found written in the book. Now this book is the record of those who belong to God. It is found throughout the Bible, beginning in Exodus all the way to the book of Revelation. And according to verse 1, those whose names are written in that book will be delivered by God. You see, they were written there first by God, and they will be saved by God. Every single name, not one of them whose name is in that book will fail to be saved in the end by God. Isn't that good news? You can write down in your calendar all you want, the kinds of things you want to get done this week, right? Maybe you do. Maybe you take the last part of Sunday or the first part of Monday to write down all the things you'd like to accomplish. And if you're like me, it's a very ambitious list. And then you get to the end of Friday, and your ambitious list is taunting you. It's telling you, you didn't have the energy to do that. You didn't have the time to do that. You didn't have the money to do that. You didn't have the help to do that. But friends, God's to-do list will get to done. And not a single name on that to-save list will be erased. God won't run out of energy. He won't run out of power. He won't run out of grace. He won't run out of mercy. He won't run out of love. And he won't run out of time. The hound of heaven will get those in the book and shepherd them home. Salvation will come. But the thing is, is that God doesn't need a book, does he? He doesn't need a book to remember who's his and who's not. The, 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 the names are written in the book as a matter of public record. This is actually something Persian kings would do. If you want this afternoon, go to Esther chapter 6 and look at the beginning. And the Persian king pulls out his book and he finds Mordecai's name and he finds the record of what Mordecai has done. And so he resolves, well, have we done anything to reward Mordecai yet? His name is here in my book. And so then imagine Daniel, who's in a Persian court, hearing... Not about the king's book, but about God's book. How much greater will God's reward be than any king's? It'll be eternal. Look at verse 2 and 3. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the sky above, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And you see, 
in the midst of this promise of eternal life, there is a reminder that all the names in the book will be saved, but not all the names are in the book. Not all names are in the book. Not all names will be raised to everlasting life. Not all names will end up in heaven. There is no place for universalism in the Christian's mind and understanding. Only those who are there will be raised to life. Others will be raised, it says, to everlasting shame and contempt. Revelation 20 puts it this way, And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. This final eternal separation is still coming. Those who are in the book will enjoy everlasting peace and joy and in God's presence. Those who are not will face eternal conscious punishment. Jesus says it this way in John chapter 3, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. You see, Jesus is sent into this world to express God's love for us, to lay down His life for us, to take the shame and the contempt that we deserve, to be burned up in the fire of God's wrath in our place. Till on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on Him was laid. But it's only those who believe in Him who are forgiven and have that eternal life. All those written in the book believe in Him. They turn from their sin. They trust Him. They follow Him. Only they will be saved. These are the ones that God has in His book. My question is, friend, are you in the book? Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ through faith? Are you trusting His death for your sin? Are you following Him? Do you know His grace, His love, His mercy? How I would plead with you to turn to Him today. Jesus said, if anyone comes to Him, He will not cast him out. You don't need to worry yourself about whether you can get a sneak peek at the book to see if your name's in it. You need to do what the Bible tells you to do, which is to repent of your sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you do, then you'll know your name's in the book. God's written it, but then you'll know it. So I would plead with you to do that. This, that's the promise of Daniel 12, that no matter how bad life gets for us, no matter how bad life will get then, no matter that the trouble will be never as there has been since there's been a nation, never mind that. No matter the trouble, no matter the tribulation, for those in the book, God's salvation is sure. The third promise, okay, so we have the promise 
of protection, the promise of salvation. The third promise is the promise of limitation. Look at verses 5 to 7. Then I, Daniel, that now the, the, we're back to what's actually happening after Daniel receives all of this. Then I, Daniel, looked, and behold, two others stood, one on this bank of the stream and one on that bank of the stream. And someone said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream, How long shall it be till the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the stream. He raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time, and that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end, all these things would be finished. So as we come along here in verse 6, the question is asked about the timing of all this. The timing. How long until these wonders? And, and the answer that comes back is the same kind of answer we got in chapter 7. A time, times, and half a time. Now we could take a great detour into speculation, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to leave that to you. What I want to tell you is what Daniel was thinking when he heard this. Are you ready? Verse 8, I heard, but I did not understand. Doesn't that comfort you? Doesn't it comfort you? You've been looking up to Daniel this whole time. You've been like, oh, dare to be a Daniel, right? Oh, if I could just have the courage of Daniel and the faith of Daniel and pray like Daniel and stand like Daniel and serve like Daniel. And then you get here and you say, I can do that. I can hear and not understand like Daniel. I've got that down. Well, you see, after all the back and forth on calendars and timings and the end times, there will still be much left that is not yet understood. But we have this promise, and it's a promise of limitation. So what we see in that is not necessarily a calendar. We see that there is a limit to the length of the suffering, a limit to the length of the suffering. We may not understand the timing. We don't need to. What we need to understand that it's on, is that it's on God's clock and that it will come to an end. Nobody else controls the suffering. We hear that same kind of thing in Mark 13 when Jesus says, and if the Lord had not cut short the days, no human being would be saved, but for the sake of the elect whom He chose he shortened the days. What a sweet phrase, isn't it? He shortened the days. One of the things we need to understand about suffering, not just at the end, but in your life now, is that suffering is not God being cruel and capricious. In suffering, God is both purposeful and merciful. He is purposeful because suffering serves His ends for His glory and our good to conform us to the image of, of His Son, Jesus Christ. And it is merciful because He will not let suffering go on one second longer than is necessary to accomplish His purposes. 
not a second longer. He doesn't lose sight of it. He doesn't say, well, we accomplished the purpose for this season of life. Oh, yeah, I forgot to stop the suffering. He doesn't do that. The suffering only goes on for as long as it takes to accomplish His purposes. You say, but I know of people, and the suffering just went on until death. Well, all I can tell you is, at that point, for those who are in Christ, the suffering comes to an end because God has done everything that is necessary through that suffering. But we don't begin to say, how dare you, God? Because whatever it is that we suffer in this life, whatever its depth and whatever its length, we are right to think it is not what we deserve. But we are wrong when we think we deserve better. I sat in a doctor's office a few months ago and I sat down. I probably have told this story. Susan will let me know after the service. But I sat down and an older gentleman across from me who was clearly suffering, uh, was there because of a disease that was ravaging his body and he was trying to get help to uh, delay its effects. And I sat down across from him and, and he said, how are you? I'm sure he expected fine or good or something terrible, I don't know. I said, well, I'm better than I deserve. And he said, I'm not as good as I deserve. I deserve better than this. You see, the Christian knows that's never the case for us. Never. And for some of us, when I, when I talk about the depth and the length of suffering... It means one thing, and for it means weeks, it means months, it means maybe a year, and for others it means decades. For others, it means I don't see a light at the end of the tunnel on this side of eternity. But I want to assure you that God is good, and He is wise, and He will not let you suffer one second longer than is necessary to accomplish His purposes, which are better and more glorious than our purposes. There's a limit to the length of suffering. There's also a limit to the effects of suffering. Look at the end of verse 7. And that when the shattering of the power of the holy people comes to an end... All these things would be finished. It will seem as if, in other words, the church is through, done, finished. But, but there will be a limit on the shattering, a limit imposed by God. The church may look like Rocky Balboa at the end of every movie, right? He's beaten and bloodied and bruised and worn out and lifting his hands in victory and screaming the victory cry. 
Dear friends, the gates of hell will not prevail. Christ will bring his people home from life's first cry to final breath. Jesus commands our destiny. There is a limit to the effects of suffering. The last promise, the promise of protection, of salvation, of limitation, the last promise is the promise of certainty. In other words, it's a promise of the pro- about the promise, a promise about the promises. Look at verse 4. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Now, shut up the words and seal the book doesn't mean that the prophecy should go into hiding. It doesn't mean we should put it away and we shouldn't look at it. It, it, it means, in fact, many will look at it and many will increase their knowledge from it. That's what, I, that's what I believe this difficult phrase at the end of verse 4 means. Many will run to and fro and knowledge will increase. But the shutting and sealing means that the prophecy will be preserved. It will be authenticated. You see, kingdoms will come and kingdoms will go. Promises will be made by world leaders. Promises will be made by cultural influencers. And those promises will largely be broken. But these promises, these promises are shut up and sealed and certain. So take it to the bank, Daniel. Take it to the bank, Gray Road. In the general sufferings of life, in the struggle against the spirit of Antichrist in this age, in the final moments when Antichrist brings suffering, when there's a time of trouble like never before, know this, God will keep His promises. God will keep His promise of protection. God will keep His promise of salvation. God will keep His promise of limitation. And God has signed and sealed that promise with the blood of Jesus Christ who has been raised from the dead. All the promises of God find their yes in Him. Now these are incredible promises, aren't they? I mean, we could just sit and linger and kind of Soak in those like a hot tub after a long run. I don't go on long runs, but if I ever did, I would do that. But these are wonderful. They're glorious. They soothe the soul. And Daniel still has a question. Look at verse 8. I heard, but I did not understand. Then I said, Oh, my Lord, what shall be the outcome of these things? Well, it seems Daniel has gone and asked the wrong question. (laughs) Because look at verse 9. He said, go your way. (laughs) In other words, none of your business. You remember in Acts chapter 1, Jesus appears 
to the disciples. And the disciples say, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? When are you going to do these things, Lord? When is all this going to happen? Give us all the insider information. And Jesus says, it's not for you to know times and seasons. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In other words, none of your business. No, some people don't like that answer. They're like, no, 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 I want to know about these outcomes. I'm going to create a chart, and I'm going to tell you what the outcomes are going to be. And God keeps tapping us on the shoulder saying, it's none of your business. Well, what is my business then? Here's what he says. Live faithfully today. You need to live faithfully today. Let's read verses 9 to 13. He said, Go your way, Daniel, for the words are shut up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall purify themselves and make themselves white and be refined, but the wicked shall act wickedly. And none of the wicked shall understand, but those who are wise shall understand. And from the time that the regular burnt offering is taken away and the abomination that makes desolate is set up, there shall be 1,290 days. Blessed is he who waits and arrives at the 1,335 days. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Do you notice he's told twice? Go. Go your way. Scoot. Get on back to work. Back to the Persian court. Back to the place God has placed you. That's all the future you get. Go on your way. Go live a holy life. I think this is what verse 10 points to. That, that You remember the divide at the end? The divide, some will be raised to everlasting life and some will be raised to shame and contempt. Well, that divide doesn't just exist at the end of days. There's evidence of that divide today between those who are wise and those who are wicked. You see, wisdom isn't merely intellectual. It's moral. It's knowing and believing and living according to God's way. James says, but the wisdom that is from above is first pure. So go live a holy life. Go persevere to the end. Verses 11 and 12 about the regular burnt offering being taken away and the abomination that makes desolate. It could be talking about the time that's going to come in a few hundred years. It's probably talking about a similar time that's going to come at the very end when true worship is cut off. And false worship is what is uh, the mainstay, what is uh, uh, the, the norm. And whatever you might take of these numbers, I just want you to notice something. The time of the struggle, the time of the pain, is 1,290 days. How long does the blessed one need to be there? Beyond that, 1,335 days. I don't know what the month and a half is, but I know this. 1,335 is bigger than 1,290. And the one who is blessed doesn't throw in the towel during the 1,290. The one who is blessed is the one who makes it all the way to 1,335. The one who is blessed endures to the end. He who endures to the end shall be saved, Jesus says. 
The suffering is shorter than the time to persevere and be blessed. So, according to Dale Ralph Davis, what they need to do is outlast the pressure, the persecution, the pain. The numerals may baffle us, but the way they are used here simply implies that Yahweh has a people who will make it in spite of everything thrown at them. Go. Persevere to the end. And go trusting the God who promises. Look at verse 13. But go your way till the end, and you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of the days. Yes, Daniel, all that mind-blowing prophecy is for the end, and you don't understand it. But understand this. You need to go to your end trusting the God who promises because His promises aren't just for the end of history. They're also for this day, toward the end of our lives. And so he tells them, you shall rest. You shall rest. God gave His people rest under Joshua after they took the land and their enemies were defeated. God gave His people rest once David got to the throne in 2 Samuel chapter 7. And Daniel now hears, at the end of your life of turmoil, of serving the Lord in a foreign land, of enduring opposition and hardship, of running the race that is set before you, you shall rest. I don't know if you watched any of the track and field events, but I remember watching the 10,000-kilometer run, uh, which is impressive to me, but they're running and they're running, and, and, and apparently it was quite hot and quite humid, and the winner gets across the end, pushes all the way. If you watched her run, it would look like nothing is wrong. I mean, like she is just blazing a trail, and she gets across the line and collapses. Friends, we are to run the race that is set before us to the very end, knowing that at the end, when we cross the finish line, we will collapse, not begging for help, not begging for somebody to bring us water and ice, but we will collapse into the arms of our Savior, who will say, well done, good and faithful servant. You shall stand, or you shall rest, and then you shall stand. This allotted place language is used a couple of dozen times in the second part of uh, Joshua's, the book of Joshua talking about how the land was allotted to each tribe. Each of them had their place. And Daniel, he's saying, has a place with God. He has a place in that last resurrection. His remains will be part of the dust of the earth that rise to everlasting life. And if you are a Christian, that is true for you. There will come a day, unless Jesus returns, that we will fall asleep at the end of our days and we will lie down in our graves. Cemetery is a word that, cut, that means in the original a, a, a resting place a, place, a sleeping place. We will essentially take a nap and just like Jesus with uh, the little girl who had died and he basically comes to her and he says, it's time to get up, sweetie. That's what Jesus will do for us. We will lie down in our graves, and Jesus will come, and He will say, it's time to get up, because I have a place for you, a place to stand 
forever. You see, in light of God's promises about the future that we've been seeing all through the second half of Daniel, we are meant to go, not go back to our charts, not go back to our graphs, not go back to our calendars, not go back to our debates about eschatology. We are to go back to our lives. We are to go back to our homes. We are to go back to our jobs. We are to go back to our families. We are to go back to the task that God has given to us, and as we go, to live holy lives and to persevere through whatever suffering may come and to trust the God who promises because He is faithful and He will surely do all of this. No eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love Him. In light of God's promises about the future, dear friends, dear Christian, live faithfully today. Look forward to that day and live faithfully today. Let's pray. Oh God, we are thankful for Your Word. We are thankful that You are a God who does not simply make promises and try to keep them. But You make promises and keep them. We thank You for the promises that are ours in Jesus Christ for all who trust in Him. And we pray, Lord, that in light of Your great and precious promises about the future, that we will not stargaze and calendar gaze, but we will look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, and we will run the race that is set before us. Holy lives of perseverance, trusting in You. And we ask it for Jesus' sake and in His name. Amen.